This message is brought to you by the Tabernacle Baptist Church in Hickory, North Carolina. If you'd like to learn more about our ministries, we encourage you to visit us online at tabernaclehickory.org. That's tabernaclehickory.org. You can find our sermons on a number of platforms, including Apple iTunes, YouTube, and Sermon Audio. We trust that God will use this message to speak to your heart. Take your Bible, if you would, and turn with me to Acts chapter 13. Acts chapter 13, and I'm going to do something a little different than I normally do when I preach. I usually open to a passage, read the passage, pray, and preach uh, from that passage. Tonight, I'm going to pray first, and then I'm going to take four select verses from Acts chapter 13, speak a little bit about them, and then try to put them together and come to a conclusion for us I think that would honor the Lord in our lives. I want to preach to you for a few moments this evening on this thought, serving our generation. Serving our generation. Let's pray and we'll look at the scriptures. Father, we thank you so much for tonight. I feel like we're amongst friends tonight. I thank you for these good folks who have given their time. I know they've had long and hard days. But Lord, they come tonight hungry. They want to hear from you, and they want to be helped from the Scripture. I can't do that, but your Holy Spirit certainly can. And I pray, Lord, that you would take your word and speak to us, meet our needs tonight, challenge us. Where we need to be convicted, convict us. Where we need to be encouraged and instructed, we ask you to do that. Lord, lead in this time and help us, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. I want you to notice in this chapter three men that we learn something very important about. I want to begin in verse 22. Notice it. It says, When he had removed him, he raised up unto them David to be their king, to whom also he gave testimony and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after mine own heart, which shall fulfill all my will." Now, I'm going to be honest with you, when we think about that verse, most of the time our attention goes immediately to that phrase, a man after mine own heart, and rightfully so. If that is said of a man, if God says of a man that that man has a similar heart to me, that's something that we ought to note. It's something important to see. And I believe God says that about David, and there's lots of opinions about this. This is only my opinion. I believe that by the time we're done with this chapter tonight, we will see that at least one aspect of why God says he has a heart, David has a heart like God, is because both of them have hearts to serve others, not serve self. But my phrase that I want to draw attention to tonight is the very last phrase of that verse, which shall fulfill all my will. God looked at that man David and he said, I want you to notice this about David. That man will be particularly careful to fulfill the plan that I have for his life. In every aspect, What I am sure of in David is that David will fulfill what I've given him to do. Now listen, we all in this room know tonight that David was not a perfect man, that David failed. But thank God he had a convictable heart. 
and that he got right with God and always returned to the place where he wanted to accomplish in his life all that God had given him to do. What a thing to be said of any of us. I would be so pleased if when I die and they put a headstone up there, if I'm not raptured out, if it said he wasn't real bright, but he did everything God gave him to do, I'd be satisfied with that testimony, wouldn't you? David had that testimony with God. Now I want you to notice a second man in a second verse. Look at verse 24. When John had first preached before his coming the baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel, notice this, and as John fulfilled his course, whom think ye, he said, whom think ye that I am? I am not he, but behold, there cometh one after me whose shoes of his feet I am not worthy to loose. We're speaking specifically of the man, John the Baptist. John the Baptist was a great Old Testament prophet who bridged the gap between the Old Testament and the New Testament. We, we don't often talk about this, but for 400 years when Malachi had finished his prophecy, God had not spoken through a prophet to his people. And 400 years later, John the Baptist comes on the scene in this world. He is the forerunner of Christ. He's preparing the way for Jesus Christ and God chooses to speak to His people again. And God speaks through His people through this man, John the Baptist. But what I notice about John is he fulfilled his course. There we have it again. David was a man who fulfilled all of God's will. And here's John the Baptist, and God has that same confidence in him. He has fulfilled his course. Everything I gave John to do, John has accomplished. And hey, if you stop and think about it, it wasn't an easy life. John didn't live in the palace. He didn't live in the comfort of the city. He was often in the wilderness. And by the way, he was not accepted and applauded. He was hated by the Pharisees. He was hated by the government. As a matter of fact, he lost his head because he was hated by the government. No easy course, but he fulfilled his course. I dare say if Christians today had to follow the plan that God had for their life, and it followed the path that John's life passed, most of them would think that couldn't be God's will. Couldn't be God's will that things be hard. But John fulfilled his course. There's a third man I want you to notice in verse 29. There the Bible says, And when they had fulfilled all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a sepulcher. Beyond any shadow of a doubt, the one we're talking about here is the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I know the Bible says there that when they had fulfilled all that was written of him, but please understand this, they didn't kill him, he laid down his life. They didn't, they didn't tell him where to go, what to do. He was a willing servant of his father, and he by his own volition, by his own choice, by his own spirit of sacrifice, gave himself for us. 
He fulfilled all that the Father had for him to do. Oh, there was that time in the garden when he bowed his head and he was praying in such a manner that that sweat was, as it were, drops of blood. And he looked into that cup, and in that cup was our sin. And he said to to the Father, Oh, if there's any way this cup could pass from me. But then in that beautiful, sweet picture of surrender, he said, Not mine but thy will be done. And he fulfilled all that the Father had for him to do. Now think about this. We have a king, King David. But what we notice about him is he didn't lead a self-serving life. He led a life that was in surrender to the will of his God and he fulfilled all that God had for him to do. We have a great prophet, perhaps the greatest prophet other than Jesus that has ever lived, John the Baptist. He could have commanded respect. He could have demanded authority. He could have commanded a crowd. But instead, he walked a humble path and fulfilled his course. We have Jesus Christ, who is the creator, who is God himself, equal to God in every way. And yet he defers and he surrenders and submits to his Father so that all that is written of him can be fulfilled. Here's what I want you to see tonight. We're not studying these men in Acts chapter 13 because they are a king or because they are a prophet or because they are prophet, priest, and king. We are studying these men because they made themselves servants. Servants. I want you to notice one more verse with me. Look at verse 36. For David after he had served his own generation by the will of God, fell on sleep. I'll I'll stop reading there because I see in that phrase the outline that I want to give you tonight. From the life of Jesus, from the life of John the Baptist, from the life of David, great men of great authority, they decided that they would be servants. And they served by the will of God their generation. You know what? You will never read of me in who's who. I will never be a king, I assure you. I don't consider myself a great preacher, certainly not a prophet. And I will never be Jesus. (laughs) But you know what I can be? I can be a servant. And every person in this room can purpose in their hearts, I can be a servant. And I could serve this wicked generation in which I live by the will of God. Would you notice those three things with me? Number one, notice that they served. I want you to notice that. For David, after he had served. You know, when I think of Jesus and John and David, I would think that the word serve there would be 
one of the higher words that would indicate a servant. Maybe even deacon, diaconus, a servant, but a servant with an office. Maybe a servant that would be indicated as a teacher or a house servant. But I challenge you to study this word. This word is the Greek word huperteo. Now, I don't know Greek very much. I've had a whole year of it, and so I am a scholar, you know. I don't know it very well, but I do have a strong concordance, and that makes me extremely dangerous, okay? And so I thought, what does it mean? What does it mean when it says of David and then of these other two, they served? And when I looked it up, I was shocked. That word huperteo means to subordinate, and, and it was used of a specific class of servant. Have you ever seen in a picture those Roman galleys? You know, they had a sail, but most of all, they were powered by two sets of oars, and slaves would sit in the seats, and they would, they would row to the beat of a drum, and if they missed the beat, they would be beaten with the lash. They were the lowest of the lowest of servants. They weren't the servants that worked in the house. They weren't the servants that worked the farm. They weren't the servants that taught the children. They were the servants that had nothing else but a strong back. And they put them in those galleys and they rode and they rode and they rode. They weren't over anybody. They didn't get a choice of what they did. They got meager fare. They were huperteo. They were the under oarsmen. And when you verse in chapter 13 and verse 36 and you speak about Jesus and John and David they are declaring they are under oarsmen it is saying I'm nothing I am the least of all I am the lowest of the servants I am an under oarsman but I'm a little discouraged in our day been in church work a long time, and I've seen something happen. I've seen the key word in so many churches go from serve to self. And to be honest with you, too often believers have no concept of being a servant. Instead, we have a self-serving attitude where we think church is about us and about how I'm served. We even came up with a phrase a number of years ago. We called it seeker churches. And when I first heard that phrase, I thought, man, that's awesome. I'll show you how ignorant I am. I thought, that's awesome, a seeker church. And then I looked into what it was. And what it was is this. It wasn't come seek and we'll give you a place to serve. It was come tell us what you want and we'll seek to meet whatever you want. Whatever it is that pleases you. However you want church, we'll try to give you church just like that. How about doing church like Christ says we ought to do church? All our words of self-esteem, positive thinking, words of affirmation and self-love and realization of rights. You know what we've forgotten? We have forgotten the words of Jesus. Let me read them to you. Jesus called them unto him and said, Ye know that the princes of the Gentiles exercise dominion over them, and they that are great exercise authority upon them, but it shall not be so among you. 
But whosoever will be great among you, let him be your minister. And whosoever will be chief among you, let him be your servant. Even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. Jesus declares in the gospel, I didn't come to be served. I came to serve. And I came to give my life whoever would accept it, whoever needed it. Is that our attitude? I'm coming to give myself. I'm coming to be an under oarsman. I'm coming to serve. I'll never forget, the, we had just, we'd started our church in a high school, public high school, and we had just gotten an old dilapidated church building and we were trying to remodel it and make it look pretty. And uh, we were just hoping it would stand up. <laughs> and uh, my wife and I, and we had a young man who was helping us as an assistant, and we were painting things and making them to look presentable. And I had a phone call, and I went to take that phone call. And I was gone for some period of time, and I was walking back down the hall, and my wife and that assistant were in, the, in a room painting, and I, I overheard this conversation. I heard him kind of grousing, and I heard him say to my wife, I didn't go to four years of college to paint walls. Yeah, he didn't know who he was talking to. <laughs> and I heard my wife say this. No, you got saved to do that. Wow. You know what I did? I just turned around, walked back down the hall. On in there. <laughs> we forget who we are, folks. We forget we're a church full of under oarsmen. We're a church full of people that God wants to use, and we need to give our life in service to Him. David understood that being a king brought not only the privilege of the office, but the responsibility of service. Do you remember all those years when David had been anointed king, but Saul still sat in the seat? You remember how bitter and mean and evil David got? No. David knew he had to serve, and when God was pleased to remove Saul, he would. But until then, his heart would be right, and he would serve. Do you remember when Saul died and his son Mephibosheth was lame and left uncared for and David went to the son of the man who had made his life miserable and served that lame son and said, you've got a seat at my table all the days that you want it? He understood when he wanted to build that temple so bad and God told him, no, you've been a man of war. You're not going to build my temple. And instead of being bitter about it, and instead of feeling faulted or slighted, he decided he'd be happy just to be the one who got to gather the materials so that his son could build that glorious place. And today, though David built the kingdom, and though David assumed the materials, it's not called David's temple. It's called Solomon's temple. And it was okay with David because he he was an under oarsman. And he knew he was created to serve and to fulfill God's will. John the Baptist understood what it was served. You remember when he said he must increase, but I must decrease? 
A man who was on his way to losing his head. A man who had commanded great crowds and yet he was willing to be supplanted, to be put aside for Jesus Christ because he knew he was an underhorseman. I think of Jesus. Look to Jesus and you'll find him with a towel and a basin. And you'll find him kneeling before the man who in a matter of hours is going to betray him with a kiss, washing his feet. Well, I'm not, I, I might be nice to some, but that person doesn't treat me right. Who treated Jesus right? You see him kneeling with that towel and basin before men who have pledged their faithfulness, but all will forsake him when he's arrested and he still washes their feet. The Bible says that he came unto his own, and his own received him not. And yet he loved them and died for them. May God remind us tonight and plant in our hearts that as servants we're not better than our master. We don't get to pick and choose who we serve. We don't get to pick and choose how we serve. We are under oarsmen. And we serve at the pleasure of our God. And it is our privilege to serve Him. One of the passages that so marks my life is that passage in Luke 10, such a familiar story, the story of the Good Samaritan. But what marks me about that story is how the Bible describes the three men that came down that road that day. That Jew had been beaten and left to die in that ditch. He had been robbed of everything he had. And the Bible says the first man down the road was a priest, a priest of Jehovah God, a priest who was no doubt on his way for his course of duty at Jerusalem, a priest who knew the heart of God and, and knew what God would have wanted him to do. And the Bible says that he noticed the man and before he came to the man, he crossed on to the other side and went on by that Jew in that ditch. The next man down the road was a Levite a Levite of the priestly tribe, a Levite whose commission was to teach the people of God, to interpret the Word of God. He knew the Word of God as well or better than anyone. And the Bible says when he came down that road, he looked over and saw the man and gazed on the man. No doubt his heart was moved with pity for the man, and he wished there was somebody that could help the man. He, he wished there was somebody who could go down there and dirty their robes and, and give them their resources and help the man but he didn't see anybody and the Bible says after looking on him he just left him and passed by. The Bible says there's a third man that came down that road and he was a Samaritan. Of all the men who came down that road he was the one whom we would least think likely to go down and help a Jew because the Jews hated them. But the Bible teaches us that he put aside his prejudice. He put aside his own self-interest. He put aside his own schedule, got down off his donkey, went down, bound the wounds of the man, helped the man up, put him on his donkey, took him to an inn, and paid out of his own resources for what this man needed. The Bible asks us a real important question. Who is his neighbor? Who really cared? 
I would suggest to you that we've got enough churches and enough Christians in America today filled with priests and Levites, filled with people who know this world is lost and know this world is on its way to hell and wish that somebody would do something about it, but we're too busy. And we're too self-interested and we go on about our way and what our world desperately needs, this bleeding, dying world that we live in and surrounds us is somebody to get down off their donkey and get down in that ditch and tell them about Jesus Christ. I went to a Bible college after we got saved and Right outside the classroom and administration building, there was a beautiful stone plaque. And I've walked past that plaque a thousand times, literally a thousand times. And I've read it and I thought to myself, that's pretty cool. I wonder what that means. <laughs> and I thought, well, that was nicely done. wonder what that means. And years ago, it dawned on me when I was thinking about this, I understand it because what that plaque said was, enter to learn, go forth to serve. We were at that school to learn what God had for us and what God's word had for us. But we were to go from that place taking that knowledge and serve. Enough of playing church. Enough of walking in rooms like this Sunday after Sunday, Wednesday after Wednesday, Super Tuesday after Super Tuesday and learning more and learning more and learning more. When will we go forth and serve? When does it become action? When does the burden go from our head to our heart? Jesus says, just like John, and just like David, we're under oarsmen. And we do what we're commanded. And we do what our Father has for us to do. They served. Here's number two, quickly. They served by the will of God. World's never been greatly impressed with anyone doing the will of God. Have you noticed that? If you're waiting for your neighbors to say, hey, you go to church, they're not going to. They're not impressed that you're here on Tuesday night. As a matter of fact, they think you're a little weird for being here on Tuesday night. But my friend... The foolishness of God is wiser than any wisdom men has. <laughs> Find the will of God and do it regardless of what any man thinks of you. You see, the Bible is filled with times when people thought godly people who were obeying the Lord were foolish. You remember when David finally brought the ark into Jerusalem? And he was so filled with praise and joy that he was dancing before the ark. And his wife was looking out and down on him. And Michael, his wife, the Bible says, despised him in her heart. But it was the will of God. <laughs> Judas thought it was absolutely silly and wasteful 
for Jesus to be anointed with that expensive oil. How dare that woman take that vial of ointment and break it and anoint the Lord Jesus. But it was the will of God. Peter rebuked the Lord for saying that he was going to go to the cross and die on the cross. But that was exactly what the will of God is was. I'm simply saying let the world have its opinions. We don't settle up with the world. We settle up with God Almighty, and we are to be servants according to the will of God. The world scoffs at preaching the Bible, but it's the will of God. The world scoffs at holy living, howls at holy living, but it is the will of God. The world hates confrontational soul winning. They want it to be okay for any way you believe to be good enough. I had a neighbor say to me the other day, we were talking about the Lord. I'm going to get him. But he drew a circle and he said, now some people start here and some people start there and some people start here, but they're all trying to get here. And I put, the, I reached over to his circle and in the middle of that circle where he put the dot, I wrote Jesus. I said, Don, if they're not trying to get to Jesus, they're getting to the wrong place. Well, they don't mind if we believe in Jesus. They just hate the message that says there's no other way but Jesus. But you know, that's the will of God. The world sneers at parents who accept the God-given responsibility of training our own children, but it's the will of God. Now listen to me. I love coming to a church service like this and preaching like I'm preaching tonight. I like my preaching. <laughs> And I'm going to be honest with you, it's easy for me to take these stands in here because every once in a while somebody says, amen, shakes her head, agrees, everybody's kind of smiling at me. You know where it's real tough? Outside of here. And to be honest with you, we're not trying to win each other to the Lord. We're trying to win a lost world to the Lord. And God says, listen, I want you to serve me out there by loving them and trying to reach them and trying to help them. You know, sometimes we can be so sanctified and so separated that we're willing to meet here and encourage one another while the world goes to hell. And God says, no, you're under oarsmen. I want you to serve each other. I want you to love each other. But I want you to enter here to learn. And I want you to go out there and serve and help and love. Brings me to my third point. They were servants who were willing to serve by the will of God. And then they served their generation. <laughs> that word generation is an interesting word. It can mean a place, it can mean a people, but I, I think what God is saying is serve where I put you. Serve where I place you. We serve a weird generation, don't we? We serve a generation that can't figure out if they're a man or a woman. Now, I, I'm not trying to be unkind today, but that's repulsive to me. I'm repulsed by that. 
We serve a world that will absolutely weep and shed tears over an orca whale that's calf has died and she's kept it on her nose for 17 days. Have you followed that in the news? And I'm and I, I that's sad to me too, okay? I'm not I'm not making light of that. I'm just saying that same crowd will turn around and callously call for anybody to abort any baby for any reason. I'm gonna tell you that's repulsive to me. That's repulsive to me. I don't understand all the piercings. I don't understand all the tattoos. I'm not, listen, hey, here's the truth. If we're going to do our job, there's going to be a lot of tatted and pierced people in our churches, preacher. Because that's our generation. And if they get saved, this hole's still going to be there. (laughs) There. There. Everywhere. And the tattoos are still going to be everywhere. And you know what we got to do? We got to get over ourselves and say, hey, I'm down underneath the ship just a rowing. I'm an under oarsman. I'm nothing, but I know Jesus. I can help you. That's our generation. Let me help you. I bet I can draw a circle, a five-mile circle around this building right tonight. I bet I can step outside and find something if I look hard enough. I'll bet you I can find a house this Friday night where a little mother with two or three little children will be hurrying them off and saying, look, he's not been home yet. I've not heard from him. I don't know how he's going to come through. He got paid today. And she hurries them little children into a bedroom somewhere and says, don't come out. And she hopes he's happy when he comes home, but he may be mean when he comes home. And, and she'd love to have somebody to talk to, and she'd love somebody to reach her husband. She'd love somebody to help her children, but she doesn't know where to go. She doesn't know who to turn to. But I know who knows the truth. You're sitting in this room tonight. I guarantee you something. Somewhere in that five-mile circle is a, is a young man he got hurt on the job and his back hurts so bad. Anybody, any of you got bad backs? <laughs> they hurt. And that doctor put him on prescription pain meds. And he took them and he took them and he took them and now they won't write the prescription anymore. But he still needs it. He hates it, but he still needs it. And he takes money that he should be using for something else. He hates doing that, but he needs it and he wants it. And it screams in his veins. And he might even have progressed to the place where he can't get the pill, but he's putting a needle in his arm. And nobody hates it worse than him. But he doesn't know what to do and he doesn't know where to go and he doesn't know who can help. And if he tells somebody at work, they'll fire him. But I know who can help him. I know somebody that can tell him about Jesus Christ. I'll guarantee you somewhere in that five-mile circle is a little girl locked in her bedroom who's saying to herself, I don't know how to tell mother and dad. It's just once. He said he loved me. And that nurse at the school, she told me that I should just take a pill or go see an abortion doctor. I don't know who to turn to. I don't know what to do. I'm afraid of what my parents will do. I wish I had somebody to talk to. And she doesn't know where that person is, but I know where that person is. Probably sitting in this room tonight. A little old lady 
Her life's been reduced to a 10 by 10 room where she has a bed and a TV and a chair. And it used to be that her kids came by or somebody came by, but that wore out and they're busy and she makes excuses for them. But she'd love to have somebody come and talk to her. She'd love to have somebody come and be a friend to her. And she may or may not know Jesus, but probably doesn't know Jesus. But she'd probably be glad to hear about Jesus if just somebody would come. Folks, I'm telling you, and I'm done. Our world is a bleeding, dying man in a ditch. And we go to church, and we have our programs, and we do our stuff, and we say the right words, but somebody needs to get off their donkey and go down in that ditch and be a friend and be a help. And that's us. Thank you for listening to this message from Tabernacle Baptist Church. We pray that God has used His Word to speak to your heart today. If you'd like to learn more about the ministries of Tabernacle Baptist Church, you can go to our website, tabernaclehickory.org. That is tabernaclehickory.org. There you'll find additional resources that we pray God will use to be a help to you. If the Lord should lead you to partner with us or make a donation online, you'll find a link provided on the website at tabernaclehickory.org. May God bless you and thank you for listening.